Most of you know that um, I'm pretty easy to sneak up on now, even when you're not trying to sneak up on me, particularly if you come up on my right side. Um, you know, that not, not only the, uh, you know, the hearing's gone on that side, um, my hearing aids broke uh, quite a while ago, and uh, they can't fix them. And the, the whole thing with it, uh, I thought, well, let's see what it's like without them. Because they told me what it would cost to replace them, and I said, ooh, let's see what it's like without them. Anyway, um, and so it works pretty well, except when you come up on the right side, then it's, you know, it's... And if I'm concentrating on something, which doesn't take much, usually it just takes something shiny or, you know, a squirrel to go by or something like that, and, uh, you know, that's got my attention. So if my attention is on something, that is, it's very easy uh, to sneak up on me. Sunday mornings, uh, quite often... Uh, you know, it, it happens. Someone, I'll be in my office and I'm going over the sermon, wondering why I didn't think of this before Sunday morning, uh, you know, and writing stuff in there. But um, somebody will come along, you know, Ron will come down to give me the microphone and I don't hear him at all. And all of a sudden I turn and there he is, you know, and I, I kind of jump. Or if somebody comes in to make copies, uh, while well, I can hear the copy machine, I, you know, I, I just assume they're over there. All of a sudden they're next to me. Um, you know, and that's just kind of how it goes. Kent and Ginny are the two who sneak up on me the most. And, um, you know, they, they do that most often. Now, they both insist it's not on purpose, but I have my doubts. Um, this Thursday, Kent had a meeting here with, with, some, with uh, uh, some people. And uh, after the meeting was over, I, I was uh, out in the other part of the church and I'm coming through and Kent snuck up with with someone else, you know, on the other side of the door to startle me, and um, you know, but it, it's a lot. It's entertaining for other people, but um, now I think I think there's a I think there's a difference though between being startled and being really frightened. Uh, there's a huge difference on those things. There's things that go on in life sometimes that frighten us and and cause uh, great fear. Um, when Marcy was three years old, she got separated from us in a very crowded park on the 4th of July, uh, where we were waiting for the fireworks and we were going to uh, find a place to spread our blanket out. And um, when she got separated from us, neither of us noticed that. We didn't, we didn't realize it at first. And when we did realize it, instant panic hit in. I mean, it wasn't just, uh, you know, it wasn't just being startled. It was panic. Uh, you know, how are we going to find this kid in this crowd? And so I, I went back and retraced our steps, you know, and uh, I found Marcy. She was three years old, so she's only three feet tall. You know, I mean, she can't, all she can see is all these giants among her, you know, and she's running in circles, um, screaming, crying. She was fine. It's just tough to remember that. And uh, she didn't want anyone to touch her because they're strangers. She didn't know them. You know, but as soon as she saw me, you know, she just made a beeline for me. And we both just embraced each other, you know, until we both uh, calmed down. Uh, you know, but the rest of the night she stuck with us like white on rice. You know, there was just no, um, you know, no, no uh, getting away from, no getting away from that. Uh, you know, she wasn't going to be separated from us. That incident came to mind as I was thinking about one of the events we reflect on during Advent, and that's the angels appearing to the shepherds. Let's pray, and we're going to get into that passage a little bit. 
Father, thank you for the word you've given us that shows us and gives us a little bit of an insight into things that have gone on in the past and things that have happened. gives us a great deal of insight in many ways on your birth, Jesus, and when you came. Uh, That's one of the passages that we're looking at, one of the things we're thinking about this morning during this season, Advent season. We pray that you would help us to understand a little bit more. Now, when stuff is familiar to us, sometimes it just blows right by us. Um, or we think we know where, where your text is taking us. But help us to have our minds open to you today, that we might be enlightened maybe in ways we haven't, reminded of things we need to be reminded of, but particularly reminded of your love for us. Take us to that place, deeper into that knowledge, and not just the knowledge, but the living it. So help us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn there, Luke chapter 2, page 942 in the Pew Bible, or if it's on your phone or your tablet, or if you're like Kent and you haven't memorized, then, you you know, however it works for you, just, you know, get there. Now, we think of Jesus' birth as this wonderful, uh, calm, serene event that took place in a clean environment, uh, you know, because that's what we see with all the nativity scenes people have set up. We just saw one uh, yesterday, day before, and it was on a piano, and boy, it's all sparkly clean you know and and all this stuff and so we kind of you know get get that idea now I, I don't mean to pop your corn but that's not really that's not really um doesn't seem to be the reality there i think about this for you know just for a little bit joseph and mary had just finished up a 90 mile journey from galilee to bethlehem now many scholars feel that this that that this journey uh, was most likely a four-day journey walking about eight hours a day now, if you can imagine walking for eight hours a day, well, we can't because, you know, we plunk it down in a car and we're just kind of used to that. Uh, but, you know, walking for eight hours a day, that's and it was a hot climate. So I'm guessing that they, um, you know, perspired a little bit. Now, Joseph sweated, Mary glowed, I suppose. But, uh, well, she must because I've seen the picture. Anyway, uh, the, the, you know, the roads were dusty, so no doubt their clothes were dirty, uh, you know, as that went on. And they were in a stable, so there was probably uh, a fairly pungent odor, um, you know, involved in this. Now, and I, I was present at the birth of all three of our children, and they took place in a modern clean uh, hospital, you know, sanitary place. Um, But even there, the birthing process was, um, shall we say, uh, messy, Um, you know, a a, a bit messy. Now, that's really all for another sermon, you know, maybe Christmas Day. I I just want you to correct your nativity sets, you know, get your nativity, dirty it up a little bit. Don't don't add the pungent owner. But um, while all that was going on, though, while all that was going on, we have what we're looking at here in in um, Luke chapter two. We have the, the you know the event we're starting with there because while all that's going on, the proud father, you know, God was very busy inviting people, strangers, no less, uh, to come and see his newborn child. Pick up with me, verse eight, verse eight of Luke chapter two. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
Today, a Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough of all places. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people whom he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Now they hurried off and found Mary, both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Now, this is the, you know, what's going on while you know, they had the baby. Uh, God is you know, getting these strangers lined up to come down and see. But just a few things I want to point out from these verses. Notice, uh, while the shepherds were doing their thing, you know, while they're out there shepherding the sheep, you know, it, it, their kumbaya moment around the fire is interrupted. It, suddenly, it says, an angel of the Lord stands right in front of them. Well, um, we always think of an angel, you know, with wings and all this stuff. I, I, and I don't know. What I do know is they didn't know this guy, nor did they expect this guy, you know. And, and, and so there he was. And then it also says that the, that shining glory of the Lord envelops them. Well, again, I, I'm quite certain it has it has their attention. And it says they were more than startled. Notice in the Holman Christian Standard, it says terrified. Some of the other translations say that they were King James. I like the way the King James puts it. They're sore afraid, sore afraid. They were so scared it hurt you ever been that scared no they were sore afraid filled with great fear some of the translations say terribly frightened uh you know obviously the translators are looking for a word that's going to express the fact that um you know they were scared you know i get the i get the idea i kind of get the feeling that maybe they felt this was it you know that their their ticket was getting punched you know their their flight was taken off they were Getting ready to take a dirt nap. The, the, the worms were waiting. You know, I, I think that they, they kind of figured, you know, th- th- this was it here. But notice, notice the angel's first words to them. Don't be afraid. Ooh, did they need to hear that? Did they ever need to hear? Don't be afraid. Uh, you know, the, 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 we need to hear that. We, we, you know, when we, are, when we are afraid, we need to hear that. Because w- when we are afraid, whatever is causing that fear consumes us. Whatever it is that's bringing that fear there consumes us. It has all of our attention. It's all we can think about. And as we're thinking about it, all we're doing really is we, are, we end up feeding the fear. We're thinking about what it is that has caused us that fear, and, and we're feeding it. We're increasing it. We're deepening it. You know, it, it, it's, it, can, it can get to the place where it can be debilitating. Yeah, and... and, and now, I have noticed that when, you know, when someone's afraid or they're terrified or they get excited, you know, it does very little good sometimes to tell them, well, calm down. You know, I know when, when I'm doing something and Ginny gets a little excited and I say, well, just calm down. It really doesn't help. Um, in fact, it kind of... But, but here, you know, he, he tells, the, the, notice the angels, you know, the, 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 the angel tells him, you know, he's not there to smoke their cookies. He says, you know, he's bringing them, look, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Because that day, 
right? A Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for them, was born for us. This was something they were looking forward to. We weren't sure when it was going to happen. You know, we look at Advent, and Advent's that time when we look back on the birth of Christ and their anticipation. It's also the time where we look forward to the return of Christ and with anticipation. And while we say we know it's there, in some regards, um, you know, we don't really expect to see it. Um, but so if we have an angel come there and tells us this is what's happening. So this, they were waiting for the Messiah, and he says, look, it's happened today. This is it. This is the day. This is the day that it happened. And the angel goes on. He speaks God's truth to them. He gives them God's message that they needed to hear at that moment. Now, it wasn't what they expected. You know, it wasn't it didn't come where they expected it. You know, none of this unfolded in any way You know that they expected. They didn't even know they needed it until they heard it. And then notice they acted on it. Two things we need to grasp that'll help us, you know, when we're afraid. Listen to God's word and follow God's word. The angel comes and tells them, you know, what God had to say. And then they do something about it. But, you know, you need to take the main focus off of what brings the fear. Now, it's not, I'm not saying here to play mind games. What I'm saying is take the focus off of what it is that brings the fear and bring the focus back to God. Bring the focus back to God and his word. Now, we all have have had times in our life, you know, where, where fear has come, whether, you know, the doctor gives you a really report you, you, you didn't want to hear, uh, you know, and we get caught up in that. And it consumes us. You know, when they when they found those tumors and, and my courses through all the doctors, uh, you know, that I was seeing, um, when I got to the the uh, cancer building there, the uh, uh, Parkview Cancer Center, um, my fir- very first contact with them was by phone. And one of the things they said to me is, do you need something for anxiety? You know, when I went there, my very first visit... As I go up to the desk just to tell the the receptionist I'm there, she says, do you need something for anxiety? I was asked four or five times that first day there about that. Why? Because they know, they know what we've been talking about, that when something comes along, you know, and and it, it brings this fear that it begins to consume us and we need help. Now, the help they were offering were drugs, and I'm not saying don't take them. All I'm saying is don't stop with that. You know, you may need that, and you may need that to calm you down, you know, and, and, and uh, that's between, you know, that's how, how you, you need to deal with that. But don't stop there. Don't ever stop there. He points them to God's Word and what God's Word has to say. Fear comes. Fear comes to us. It is a natural, normal human emotion. Here's the thing, though. Fear comes. Don't camp there. Don't stay there. Don't make that the place you dwell. Don't let that be, you know, that that all-consuming thing. That phrase, don't be afraid, that appears 62 times in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. 
Uh, you know, there, now there's other phrases that are similar to that as well. You know, at the other end of, of Jesus' journey, at the other end of his uh, earthly, you know, sojourn there, we find a phrase very similar. Turn to John chapter 14 with me. John chapter 14, it's page 993. Now, this event is after the last Passover meal that Jesus shared with his closest disciples. So, you know, we started there looking at his birth with the shepherds. Here, now we're at the other end of the spectrum. Here we are 33 years later. You know, 33 years later, he's, he's having this meal um, with, his, with his disciples. It goes John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. Uh, you know, it goes through there. But here in chapter, in, in chapter 14, where we're going to be looking, in chapter 13, G, that, that's the part where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And he shares, the, you know, this final Passover meal with them. They didn't know it was the final one then. We call it the Last Supper. But that's what's going on in chapter 13. He brings new meaning to the cup and the bread. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, it tells us that on that night he was betrayed, he took the cup and he said, you know, this cup represents my blood. He took the bread, said this represents my body. And this is what's going on there in chapter 13. And he tells them in chapter 13 that they, they, he, he's going to be betrayed. And he's going to be betrayed by one of his 12 closest disciples. He said, one of you here is going to betray me. Here, there with him then, were just his 12 closest disciples. When Jesus was, was walking, he had, there, was a whole, there was a much larger group of disciples. And as you read that, it says that he went up to a mountain and prayed. And when he came down, you know, the next morning when he came down, he chose 12 to be his closest disciples. And this is part of that group. Out of the larger group, this is part of that group. And he's, you know, that he's with them there. And, and he, you know, he says that, you know, one of you, one of you, the you, my closest guys here, it's one of you who are going to betray me. And then Judas leaves and puts that betrayal in motion. And, uh, you know, Jesus tells Peter then that, that, that he, that Peter, would deny Jesus not just once but three times before the night was over. You know, this was just, this was a rather stressful meal for them. This whole thing was just way, way out of, you know, way off of the norm for them of a Passover meal. And then Jesus says, verse 1, look what it says in verse 1. All this is going on. Verse 1, Jesus says, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Doesn't that sound a lot like don't be afraid? Your heart, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. The NIV and the New American Standard translate this. They say, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. As you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let this happen. Don't camp there, he's saying. He's, you know, he's telling them, you know, they, they were, they just heard this, this, rather upsetting news and they were really in the midst of what was probably their most upsetting time on their walk with Jesus ever up to this point and it was about to get worse they didn't realize it Jesus did and he's telling them you know he was only hours he was literally hours away from being arrested abused and tortured to death on the cross he was just hours away from this and they needed his peace now because they heard this other upsetting news but they were going they were about to need it even more than they ever dreamed you know but at this moment what what they were at was the opposite of peace and the wheels were about to wobble off of their coaster wagon because things were going to get a lot worse for them here. You know, they, they didn't know what was coming. Jesus did, and he's, he is, you know, he's trying to give them 
not just handles to hold on to, but direction for living life. You know, and when their faith, right now their, their faith is about as firm as jello at a 4th of July picnic. You know, and notice what he tells them. Notice what he tells them there, that how they would find the peace that they needed. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He just got done telling them, you know, one, one of you is going to betray me. Now, Judas, go, go to it. You know, and Peter, that impulsive mouth of yours is about to get you in trouble. Uh, you know, and I'm going, you know, I'm going to be going. And the authorities are going to take my life. He says, where I'm going, you cannot come. They weren't, they weren't in a place they wanted to be. You know, we have been there. You know, those times when you're wondering if it's all worth it. If it's all worth it, you know, they've invested three and a half of the years uh, of their life, you know, walking with Jesus and following him. And now, you know, are they wondering, is it, is it all worth it? We have those times. We have those times when we wonder, God, are you even close by? Those times when the world seems to be coming apart in a big way. It's not just little stuff, but big, whole, whole big chunks of our life are, are, are flying in emotion that we, that we don't want. It's a situation where trouble is not nearly strong enough a word. You know, trouble just seems to be such an understatement. You know, it's those moments when you feel completely disconnected from God. And these are times when we need to hear these words. Your heart must not be troubled. Don't let your heart, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He's directing their attention to God. He is directing their attention to God and he is expanding their knowledge of him. They are just, we're looking back. We get a fuller picture. They were living this picture. They didn't have the fuller picture that we have. And they're just learning. You know, when you're afraid, you know, when you're troubled, grow in your belief. Grow in your belief in and your commitment to Jesus. When you're troubled. They were in the midst of trouble here. They were in the midst of that. Now our natural response to trouble, our natural response to fear is to run away. To separate ourselves from whatever it is that's causing that fear. But what we see here is what will help is to run toward Jesus, to deepen your commitment to him. When we were living in Riverdale, uh, we lived in the church building. Uh, our, they had made an apartment in the back in the classroom area. They had taken some of the classrooms. They made that into an apartment. And that's where we lived. We were right in that building. And separating separating the sanctuary part from the apartment part, um, there was a bifold door to kind of help control the heat a little bit. You know, we could heat the apartment area and the sanctuary was, you know, was, was colder, you know, during the week. And um, I, was, I was working in my office one night and I heard Mandy and one of her friends come out of the apartment and begin to head down toward the office. It was night, it was dark out. And, you know, just uh, being the kind man that I am, I, uh, I went out and, and stood right on the other side of that bifold door. 
And I could hear Mandy and her friend coming down the stairs, chitter-chattering with each other and stuff. And they get down there, and Mandy slides that door aside. And as she's sliding that door aside, you know, and it's making a little sliding and banging noise, I greet them with a roar. You know, I just, this is because I'm thoughtful. And so when they did that, Mandy's friend screams, and, you know, she's screaming, and she's backpedaling. Mandy, on the other hand, screams, runs right towards me, wraps her arms around, locks her arms around my waist while she's screaming. You know, she didn't know what was going on, but she did know that her father would do all he could to protect her. In the midst of all this turmoil, Jesus says to his followers, Your heart must not be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. When you're afraid, when you're troubled, run to Jesus. Grow in your belief in and your commitment to Jesus. Don't run away. Now, he is speaking here to Jewish men. And as he's speaking to Jewish men, they were Jewish men who were strict monotheists. You know, meaning they they believed in only one holy, one supreme, all-powerful God, not many lesser gods. They were in a culture, in a Greek culture, which had many gods. There was a god, you know, of the sun. There was a god of the moon. There was a god of the stars. There was a god of the water. There was a god of the fields. There There was a god for everything, you see. So whatever wasn't going good, that's the god you needed to appeal to because what he was trying to do is, you know, was push your buttons. So all he was trying to do more than push your buttons, he was trying to, uh, you know, make you miserable. And now that's not the God that, that these guys believed in. These guys believed in one loving, holy, supreme, all-powerful God. And what we have here, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. To these Jewish men, he is calling them to a deeper belief in himself. Remember, we have the fuller picture. They didn't. What I think we have going on, you know, from here all the way, all the way through Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1, when, you know, after Jesus' resurrection and he walks with them more. Because uh, even then you see, the, you see a really interesting phrase after his resurrection. It says, you know, that when they were there, you know, some believed, but some doubted. How could you doubt? I mean, well, I could see how you would doubt. It's you got to put yourself in the middle of this. This is all new to them. And what I think we see going on here is a real transition time of their faith and knowledge in who Jesus was. You know, in the reality of that he was God, you know, and he had told them before that he was the Messiah. You know, he told them that he was God. In fact, it was so clear the way he told them that he was God that the Jewish authorities looked to stone Jesus because he was claiming to be equal with God. He was claiming equality with God. Now, you know, so he says, Don't let your, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, this verse could also be translated in the same way, in the same way you believe in God. Believe in me that same way. Remember, he's talking here to Jewish men, monotheists, who believed in one God. And he's calling them there to a deeper belief in and commitment to himself. To himself as God. 
And I want you to look at a few more verses in John 14. Drop down to verse 20, 25. Down to verse 25 in John chapter 14 there. This is that same conversation. That same conversation going on here. He says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Now, this is, this is the end of, you know, getting, this is further on in that same conversation, you know, from verse 1 where he said, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. This is, the, you know, further into that conversation, and he's trying to get them the, the information that they needed before the bottom fell out of their lives. They were already troubled because of what he had told them at the Last Supper, but things were going to get worse, and Jesus knew that. And he was trying to get them prepared for this. He's speaking to them. You know, he, he knew his arrest, and, and it was only hours away. His arrest, his, his, his torture, his crucifixion on the cross, they were just hours away. And he takes them a little bit deeper here, which I'm sure was really swirling their oats at that time because, you know, the, the, the best they had was an Old Testament understanding of the Holy Spirit. And for them, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon very few people. And not only, he, you know, and, and he came upon very few people and, and he could leave. I mean, you read in the Old Testament sometimes it says, don't take your, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It's, it's, that, that's, that's the understanding they had. And after Jesus' ascension, you know, he tells them here, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, I will send him in my name. It was after his ascension that, you know, that the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells every person who has a relationship with Christ now. It's not just, it's not just select few, it's every person. You know, in Romans chapter 8, he says, uh, you, however, are, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. And then notice what it says. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He does not belong to him. If you don't have the spirit, then you don't belong to him. If you do have the, if you do have, if you do belong to him, then you have the spirit, which is what he says in the first part of that verse. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. Why does he live in you? Because you belong to Christ. If you don't have the spirit, he says you don't belong to Christ. You see, it's a, it's, a different, it's a different relationship with the Spirit since, uh, since, uh, well, since Pentecost, since you know, Christ get, brought the Spirit and, and, and dwells every believer. And the difference also is the Spirit, you know, the Spirit is with you forever. Now, I say that because in John chapter 14, again, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. It's totally different for these guys. They were not used to this. They were not used to having this type of a relationship with the God of all creation. And here they have that. And he tells them an important ministry of the Holy Spirit here in those verses in John 14. He says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. 
And what he's going to do, he says, he will teach you all things and reminding you of everything I have told you. Notice, notice here again, the, the, the focus is, is again on growing in Christ Jesus. That's what the focus is on. He says the Holy Spirit will come in Jesus' name. In his, when they're talking about name, they're talking about the power, the authority. You know, like when you were a kid and when you went out there and he says, well, mom said what we were doing. You're using mom's authority. Mom said, you know, you had to. Uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come in Jesus' name, in his power, in his authority. Notice it says the Holy Spirit will teach them what? All things. He will teach you all things. And man, did they really need to know. And at, at that point, it, I, it'd be like thinking, ooh, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's like drinking from a fire hose, but you know the, the whole thing there. He said, and then he says, and he will remind you of everything I have told you. He's going. The Holy Spirit is going to remind him of everything Jesus said. Don't let your hearts be. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You must not let your heart get stuck on that trouble and that fear that's facing you. Let that fear call you into a deeper belief in and commitment to Jesus. Run to him. Let the spirit remind you of God's word. Let him remind you of God's word. Now, the word remind indicates that you've at least read it before. Otherwise, it wouldn't be reminding. It would be. I'm going to dump this in you, you know, like back up to truck. and <laughs> That's what we want. I mean, really, that's kind of what I'd like to. I, I, we don't want to have to necessarily learn. We want to. I've told you before, I want to know how to play the piano. I don't want to learn. I want to, I want to know how to play. It just doesn't work that way. You know, and all, and we, but we think that's how it works with God. I want to know God. I don't want to learn. I just want it dumped on me. He says he's going to remind you. Those things you read that, you know, sometimes don't seem to make sense to you or, you know, you're reading it and, and you think, well, this is nice, but what's this have to do with it? What it has to do with you sometimes is the Holy Spirit will bring that up and remind you of it in those times in which you need it. You know, the Holy Spirit, let him remind you of God's word. Let him take you deeper into your relationship with Christ. Deeper, you will learn some things in pain and fear that you would not never learn any other way. That's that's how that's how it is. You will learn some things in pain and in fear that you would not learn any other way. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. You ever know a severe alcoholic or drug user? I mean, one who you just don't see how they're ever going to get out of this. It's going to kill them. And somehow, somewhere along the line, they come to know Christ. This is part of the ministry that uh, that uh, the Fort Wayne Rescue Mission does. You know, they get people in those spots where they are. There's like nowhere else to go, nothing else to do. I'd like to tell you, all of those people come to know Christ. They don't all, you know, but some do. 
and I've had some friends who battled, uh, you know, heroin addiction, and then uh, they got on a methadone program, and they abused the methadone program. You know, and it was just horrible. And you just think, what is wrong with you? Well, you know, it's an addiction, and it's hard. And they came to know Christ. And afterwards, one of the things they said to me is, I'm never going back there. I am never going back where I was. Why? Because they learned something in that pain. They learned something battling to get off of heroin. They learned something battling to, 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 you know, to learn not to abuse that methadone program, but to use it to help them get, leave that in the past. And they learned what a battle that was. And they said, I don't ever want to go back there again. Sometimes the trouble we're in is of our own making. These disciples, you know, they were, they didn't want Jesus arrested. All, this, all that was going on for them was, wasn't stuff they wanted to happen. But quite often, our trouble is of our own making. That we decided that we were going to do our own thing. We decided we were just going to invest our time in things that were destroying us. That's what my friends were doing. But when they turned that over to God, God used that in their life to draw them into a relationship with Him and to cement in their minds, I am never going back and making those choices again. And they haven't. They have, one of them's gone. He's, he's with the Lord now and had nothing to do with drugs or anything. Um, you know, it was, uh, it had nothing to do with that. And he died uh, knowing the Lord. Too often, we want peace. And we search for it in all the wrong places. We think we got a handle on it, you know. And we think we can get it. Look again at Jesus' direction. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. The help and the peace that we need is not found in the things of this world. So quit grasping onto them like they are your Savior. Quit holding them like they are the ones that are going to bring you peace. Keep thinking, if I only had this one more thing, if I only had this, this one more job, this one more promotion, this, this level of money, this whatever it is, quit holding on to those as if those are the things that are going to bring you peace. He says, your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Don't 
feed the troubles. They only multiply. Don't camp out with fear. It only increases the fear. When you wake up during the night and you start thinking of all you have to do, you focus on all the troubles that have been plaguing you, or you focus on all those fears that you have been battling, and you know what happens. They multiply. And it just gets us going more and more and more. Don't camp there. Don't live there. Peace is found as you live connected to Jesus. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Whatever it is that is causing us fear consumes us. So when you are afraid, when you are afraid, listen to God's word and follow God's word. When you're troubled, use those times to grow, to grow in your belief in and your commitment to Christ. Because peace is found as you are connected and as you live connected with Christ. We saw it with the shepherds at the beginning of Jesus' birth. We saw it here with Jesus' disciples hours before his death. Now, bring that into your own life. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you don't leave us in those places of fear, in those places of trouble, of turmoil, in those places which turn us inside out. I know I've camped there too many times, more than I care to admit, more than I ever should have. Oh, Father. Don't let us camp there. If there's any here today, Lord, who have found and realized that they themselves have been feeding that fear, I pray you would touch their life and their heart right now. Draw them closer to you. Help them to know that peace that passes all understanding. I ask you to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I ask you to help us all, Father. Help us all. Not to fear. But to believe in you. To be drawn closer to you. Deeper into that walk with you. May this be a day of great change for us. Because you are a great God. And it's to you we appeal and to you we give ourselves. In Christ's name.